You're listening to the Confessions of a Hashtag Beauty Boss podcast. I'm your host, Angela Sanchez, beauty business mentor and founder of Beauty Business Co. I want you to believe that you can achieve anything if you set your mind to it. I'll be interviewing leading beauty industry professionals and discovering exactly what drove them to becoming the hashtag beauty boss they are today. Are you ready to be inspired? You're listening to episode 63 of the Confessions of a Hashtag Beauty Boss podcast with today's guest, Deb Farnworth-Wood. Deb is a serial entrepreneur and the founder of the world-leading Medi Aesthetic franchise, Australian Skin Clinics. Born in Kenya and raised in the UK, Deb's remarkable story is one of moving to the other side of the world to retire, only to build a $70 million business, which she sold in 2019. Deb's career has been punctuated by firsts. She was the first non-doctor to become a partner in the UK medical practice, and her group were the first non-pharmacists to own a UK pharmacy. She also opened England's first drive through pharmacy. It's a testament to her incredible vision and passion for the aesthetics industry that she continues to push the boundaries of business to this day. In 2020, in the middle of the COVID pandemic, Deb purchased Asada Cosmetics, an Australian mineral makeup company. In December 2020, she launched Asada Clinical Formula Skincare. It is a clean cosmeceutical range that had been in development for two years. I'm so excited to have Deb speaking at Beauty Boss Retreat 2023. We are flying her in and she will be sharing so much incredible growth, knowledge and power for these women to build the businesses of their dreams, to keep their momentum and their motivation in believing that they can achieve anything if they set their mind to it. Let's get into this week's episode. Deb, welcome to my virtual beauty lounge. It is so lovely to have you on the show today. How are you? Fabulous. Thank you, Angela, for inviting me along. I'm really excited to get on with this one. Ah, I know. It was an absolute honour to meet and sit at the table at the Australian Beauty Industry Awards with you and get to know you a little bit more and also attend your ASADA conference that you had during the beauty expo week and it was so fun wasn't it It was I was exhausted after expo but I had so much fun getting to know you as well Deb it was great and I'd heard so much about you and never actually met you in person so that was really good for me my only regret is on the award nights the table's so big we didn't really get a chance to talk a lot and there was a lot going on so uh, like award nights are really entertaining and you know exciting and fabulous to be at but I actually often feel there's a lot of lost opportunity for networking because everything's so loud and so happening at once. It was, the show was pretty spectacular. Yeah, I don't think I really chatted much at all there because it was sort of with the awards, you sit and listen to who's winning, who's the finalists. And yeah, it's a bit more of a production than a networking style. So I guess everything has room for in, like, you know, improvement and, and growth in areas, right? Yeah, and no, I know it was it was still a great night, but um, yeah, I think the overwhelming feeling I had was that I'd barely spoken to anyone. 
Ah, that's all right. Well, there's always plenty more opportunities and my feet were absolutely killing me too. So I just needed to sit down. (laughs) So I always like to start the show with getting our definition of what a hashtag beauty boss is to them. Oh, so I mean, obviously a boss who's in beauty, but I think there's such a wide range of both beauty businesses and beauty bosses it's probably hard to categorize, but for me, it means pretty much the same as being any sort of boss. So I've had multiple companies in multiple industries, and I don't really see that it's any different. It's still running a business. The products or service is different to other businesses, sure. But in terms of running a business, I think the mindset or my mindset, my approach, my priorities probably remain unchanged. So basically, it's about Everything in business is people, business, that's why people building finance products and services. And that just changes from different industries. But being a boss is the same regardless for me. Yeah, it is so true because it didn't start with your career being a beauty boss, did it? I'd love for you to share your story. What actually sort of led you into the beauty industry in part of your career path? And just share a little bit with our audience um, who you are, a bit about your family and where you are today, Deb. Okay, well, I kind of fell into beauty. So as a youngster, I always liked fashion, but I was never really what I would call into beauty. I always liked my hair being done because I hadn't drab mousy brown hair and I always liked to make it blonde from an early age but I always liked fashion so I did a stint in retail for the Burton Group in the UK but really business has always been my passion more than anything so I probably grew an amazing career started off in fashion but basically just loved business and just seemed to find that very easy and as a result got promoted very quickly and had quite a fast track career. Then I got to a stage in my life where I'd been given an opportunity. This is working for the Burton Group. It was working for Debenham, specifically the department stores. And I'd been given the opportunity to go and work in one of their accounting offices and do some store development work. And it was supposed to be a short-term project. And halfway through, I was called up to London to see my big boss, who then offered me a position in London, which would have been working in Welbeck Street in in where all the buying offices are on a stock management project. But I didn't want to live in London and I couldn't think of anything worse than living in London, to be honest with you. And and so I ended up hopping from Debenhams and leaving that role and going into a health management position, which I could never really have previously seen myself do, but I realised I had transferable skills that I could take to that role. And I took that thinking it would be a stopgap till I worked out how I got back to where I was before, which was at the other end of the country and in a retail role. And then ended up loving it so much, I ended up staying there. So that was with a group of eight doctors. And we were one of the first practices to go into a new development, which was about general practitioners holding the budget for elective surgery and then influencing waiting lists and waiting times for patient outcomes, which was actually a really rewarding position to be in. It gave us lots of opportunity to make people's lives better and health outcomes better. And we were really good at what we did. And so over the next 18 years, and honestly, I couldn't believe it was 18 years, it felt like five, we did some huge initiatives, saved the NHS 
large amounts of money and then spent that money on other care. So, for example, my sort of passion was elderly. If you're older and you can't see and you can't walk, there's not much in life for you. So you're a little old lady. You can't watch the TV. You can't see anything. You can't read your magazine. You've got wobbly hips. You've got cataracts. So those are the sort of areas we tried to make an improvement. So we cleared our waiting list for cataracts with savings we made from more smart contracting for procedures for the patients. So it was a fabulous, fabulous time. But again, all things come to an end. And after about 17 years, I was a bit weary. Health can be tricky. You know, people die. We still heart attacks. I wasn't a doctor, but, you know, we still see what happens. And I was getting tired and one of our businesses was sold. We were made an amazing offer. We sold one of our businesses for an EBITDA of 10. We don't normally talk about that, but I'm quite proud of that one. And so we sold one of the businesses and my husband said, let's retire, let's move to Australia. And I kind of agreed. I thought that'd be a good idea. I didn't think it through properly because retirement's not an easy thing to do for me. And so I bought what was the original Australian skin clinic just purely to get a visa. My thinking went, oh, we've got a manager in there. She can manage it. I'll sit on the beach every day and I'm going to retire. And then within months of moving here, the GFC bit, and I started to worry that maybe my retirement was a bit premature. Um, I've also got the whitest of English skin, so sitting on a beach was really not a good option. <laughs> and um, I kind of I just buried myself back into the business and then grew the Australian Skin Clinic franchise. And that was kind of how I fell into beauty because I kind of never really imagined. I didn't think I'd not enjoy it, but I didn't realize I'd enjoy it as much as I actually did. And I grew a huge passion for making people look and feel better. So it's not the same as real healthcare, I suppose, but psychologically, there's a huge link between how people feel when they look good. And I liked being part of that. And then having sold the Australian Skin Clinic and obviously having had all those years of experience of different levels of beauty, um, of skincare, of art, you know, we even had a, an RTO, an equipment supply company. So having done all of that, it was sort of time to retire again. But again, I didn't feel I was ready. So the only thing I've ever failed at is actually retiring. And so that was when I bought Asada and decided to go down the supplier route and a little bit more generalist in beauty rather than purely aesthetics. So it's quite a long tail, but... So good to hear it though, because, you know, like I think the pathway and the journey of like from, you know, not even falling, you know, the normal story of, oh, my mother loved makeup and that's where I ended up loving the skin industry and ended up becoming a beauty therapist and then started my own business. You are just so different. And yeah, it's so funny when you say the only thing you failed at is retiring because I actually, with seeing and knowing who you are and what is involved in um, the next chapter with Asada, which you've just acquired. How many years ago now have you owned Asada for? Only two, just two. Yeah, yeah. so and, that's quite for you. So where did that come from, like as an opportunity or you want to continue on in the, the skin field and makeup area? Yeah, so well, I, I'd actually, I've been using Asada since, oh, I think it would be about 2010 which is when I met Fiona, who was the previous owner. And she'd given me some samples and I loved it so much. I used it ever after and unquestioningly. 
And in fact, over the years, lots of salon owners have asked me what makeup range I'd recommend. And I've always said the Sardo is beautiful. And Fiona and I became friends and we used to meet occasionally. We'd talk about business and she'd often ask my advice on certain things that were going on in her business. So I knew quite a lot about Asada, you know, just through my friendship with Fiona. So when she decided that she fancied a change and she wanted to sell it, she kind of asked me if I was interested in buying it. And I just at that stage, and she probably asked me because at that stage I just sold out of ASC. And I thought, oh, you know what, this is really interesting. I've never been a big makeup fan, but having used the starter, I was more of a makeup fan. I can vividly remember Fiona trying to show me how to do winged eyelids. <laughs> still not good at that, still trying. So, yeah, so I knew a lot about the business. I knew how I would grow it. I knew what the next steps were because I'd been speaking to Fiona about it for quite a while. And so it just became a natural thing to undertake and it was quite easy. And I'd also, at that stage, I'd already bought Valor. So not many people know about Valor, but Valor's a men's, an organic men's range that we had. And I'd already bought that and we we were already running that from my factory in the range. So it was quite easy then to step into another business. And then with the added benefit that we could use the Asada platform to launch our Asada skincare, which is different to the men's skincare range that we've got. And so as a result, we moved into a much bigger factory. So we're now in a huge factory. We have our own production suite and clean rooms for the manufacturer. And we manufacture most of it in-house. Yeah, wow. That is so incredible. I mean, congratulations foremost in all of the success that you have created. And the brand Asada is such a beautiful brand. I know a lot of our beauty bosses do in clinic as well so you have the asada brand it's a retail e-commerce makeup and skincare but it is also wholesaled to the beauty business owner to provide for their clients in clinic plus you have the velour men's range and then you also still have the ultimate skin clinic and that's based at the gold coast isn't it yeah that's right the retail range we are online but our actual retail sales are probably only about seven or eight percent of our revenues so i I know a lot of salon owners worry about suppliers being online, but it, I think it drives more traffic to the clinics and it raises the profile and the brand awareness. But in reality, for us, it's not the, our core focus. And the Ultimate Skin and Body Clinic is the original Australian skin clinic, which I rebranded when I sold the rest of them. I kept that one because I own the building and I'd rather it be my clinic under my control. And we use that, of course, as a testing ground for Asada as well. So that clinic, I mean, it's no surprise that clinic is the biggest customer for Asada, but we plough through huge amounts of products and huge amounts of both skincare and makeup there. And we use that as a testing ground. So if the every time we produce a new product, it gets used in the clinic first till we're 100% happy with it. Yep, amazing. And you have just taken away one of the Business Excellence Awards. I know that you're a finalist at the Australian Beauty Industry Awards, but then I think the week later you were all off again to Sydney and I saw all the girls glowing with champagne and I was like, here they go again. And you actually did take out an award, didn't you? Yeah, we got the Beauty Award for the clinic. Yeah, and I didn't go. I was exhausted after the the previous weekend. I don't know how the young girls do it. So I said, oh, if you get a speech ready, you go and get it if we we win. 
<laughs> you do definitely have an incredible team behind you as well. It was lovely to get to know them at that weekend too. And that's testament. It's so lovely to know that you can have these incredible women who empower your brand to speak so highly of it out to other clinic owners as well. A fond friend of both Sarah and Nicola who work for you. And it's been, yeah, lovely getting to know the girls. From what they tell you going out and speaking to clinics all the time, which hurdles do you continually see popping up when it comes to running a beauty business? So I think the biggest right now at the moment and is very on keys is staff. Everybody's short staff. And we've got this whole situation driven by COVID where we've got quiet resignations and we've got people not wanting to go back out into the industry. Or I've witnessed an awful lot of therapists actually changing careers since COVID, looking for different types of roles. So I think on the staffing level, it's got to be my number one. And I would put that into two levels. One is mindset. And that is there's something about therapists that they want to be They want to do lovely things for the client. They want their skills to be appreciated. They're nice people. They genuinely care. They're awesome personalities. But somehow in all of that, they treat sales as a dirty word and they don't want to take money off the customer. And as a business owner, the only thing that pays the salaries of those beautiful people who do amazing work is the fees they take in. And that's always a struggle. And I think right from first arriving in the industry to now, that's never changed. So I think that's the problem. And I think part of that problem, in some respects, must come out of the beauty schools. They're not teaching that from day one. And I think that's important. Yeah. And then I think the also, I suppose, tied to staffing is the lack of longevity. I sometimes feel it's an industry Girls go into till they get married and have babies and we don't see many come back afterwards. And that's a shame because I think, in fact, I went through a whole phase when I had Australian skin clinics when we were struggling to get staff just because the industry was expanding so rapidly and there weren't enough staff available. I tried to do a whole recruitment campaign, which was about bringing the older lady back into the workforce, you know, that mum whose kids are a little bit older now. And it was really hard to do. And I found there was two reasons for that. Number one was that the industry had moved on so quickly. A lot of these women felt they didn't have the skills to come back and they were a bit afraid. So there were more light therapies, there were more high-end peels, just more high-end treatments. And so I think that was one part of it. And then I think the other perception was that um, it's not necessarily a career that's conducive to school hours and home commitments and things like that. So true. I'm agreeing and nodding my head with you right now. (laughs) (laughs) I think something's got to change in training. I actually believe the Diploma of Beauty should be longer than it is, and I think it should cover more. And I think it needs to have some focus on things like decorum, presentation, how you meet and greet a client, how you credential yourself and credential your skills more about how you talk to the clients about their investments and therefore leading that conversation into money. And I think all that should be a really core component. In fact, when I was probably at school, I used to complain that we never got taught how to look after our pocket money at school. And it's kind of like the same principle. We need to know more. We need our girls to come out of of that training just a little bit more fired up with the bigger picture. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Because even if they're not going in to start their business straight away, I think it's also really important for them to go in with the knowledge of, you know, being rapidly responsible for their job as a beauty therapist, but also for that employer to, yeah, work as a full team, you know, and not just go to work to do the treatments and then go home and really creating that team culture and, yeah, all being rapidly responsible for the growth of the business together, you know. And I remember speaking at your Asada conference briefly in one of the comments just sharing about, like, the power of marketing and how we are so fearful of speaking to the camera and being unique selling points behind our brand and again that's stuff that's not taught in the diploma of beauty therapy and so where can that gap be filled between finishing your diploma and then going into yeah because being an employee you've still got that responsibility to show up as booking your treatment column you know so it's not all based on the business owner to fill the column as well and marketing is such a huge part of that too so Yeah, we do try our very best here at Beauty Boss Pro to make sure that we intertwine a lot of the confidence building tips and tools and how they can grow themselves personally and professionally. But it is certainly a mindset. I can guarantee you that (laughs) we've got to overcome. And I think, I mean, just picking up on two things you said, then I love that phrase, rapidly responsible. I think that's fabulous. I'm going to write that one down and keep that. Because what we do see in many, many clinics is the owner takes on a member of staff and they, they take them on and their expectation of how fast that staff should be integrated and, and earning money is actually quite low. Now, what I normally say to new staff is, I don't care where you've worked before and how experienced you are, you probably don't do things the way we do them here. So we, you know, we have systems and procedures and and we have particular ways we consult and particular ways we deliver treatments. So I have to teach you that. And I estimate for that first month you work for me, you're going to cost me your wages and not earn me any money because you're going to be learning more than you're actually going to be treating. In the second month, I expect you to be treating more and earning a bit more. And you'll probably only cost me half as much money in the second month. But by the third month, I expect you to be a fully-fledged member of the team, earning your keep and making profit. Not many people have that level of conversation with new staff. And so when they get to the third month, most people either forget that their probationary period's over. I actually have six-month probationary periods. But generally, my rule is if by the end of that third month, the staff member is not earning their keep, then we need to let them go because you're just going to drag that out as it's going to be a prolonging problem. Now, obviously, there's exceptions to that. If they're completely new out of beauty school, then yes, I'm more likely to allow a greater period of time, especially if they've got the right personality and they're keen to learn. But I think as a, you know, as, as the beauty business owners, we have to be accountable for our time frames. And bringing in that sort of closely aligned to that, I know it's the two things, but this is the third thing, The beauty business owner needs to know about finance and so many don't. So many wait till the end of the financial year to get their accounts and realize they're losing money. They don't know on a monthly basis. So that's the next criteria that I would give everyone is understand your metrics, understand what drives your profitability and what saps your profitability and be able to 
on a month by month basis, actually to be able to assess, did you make money last month? Because if you don't notice that you're losing money, it only takes six, seven months, you, you could be bankrupt or it's too difficult to turn it around. Yeah, 100%. So many of our guests on the podcast do share about knowing your numbers and how important it is, especially when they are starting out as a beauty business owner. I think we sort of drive in thinking, well, I've got my skills behind me. I know how to make money with facials and massage. And if I can get fully booked, I'll be making X amount of dollars. And then you've got your product shelves to fill. You've got your consumables to repurchase and then it can get a little bit overwhelming with all of the you know the pressures of marketing your business to keep the consistency of that as well so would you say knowing your numbers definitely as an important tip for starting out what would be another one for someone that's sort of looking maybe they are changing their industry and going into the beauty industry and starting something with our field what would be something you'd say is a non-negotiable before getting started oh definitely learn the treatments and learn what it is you do so although I say you know business is absolutely love of my life and I have to like and have you know some enjoyment I have now got passion for beauty, but I didn't start out with passion for beauty. But you do need to know what the services, what the products are, and you do need to understand them. So I can speak eloquently about any service that we deliver. I understand the outcomes. I understand all the pre and post care. I understand, you know, what skincare will be aligned with it. I can't actually deliver most of the treatments myself. So for people coming into the industry, that is a very essential learning curve. And the first few months I was in Australia was spent sitting in in treatment rooms watching treatments and learning and learning and we have doctors and therapists and nurses then so I learned from all of those along the way. That's so important and I think also it can be very easy in our industry to have the shiny object syndrome and if something is not working within your business you might think oh I'll just create a new treatment or I'll just bring in a new product brand because that doesn't seem to be moving as fast and you're constantly just trying to um, reinvent the wheel every single time instead of maybe looking at what can I really niche down and get super clear on my messaging and know that I can literally sell it in an elevator pitch (laughs) who I am what I do and where you can find and book me (laughs) because it's great that we can offer so much within our industry but I do feel like we are overwhelming our treatment menus and our retail ranges with so many different brands to yes fill gaps in areas but then we are talking to everybody instead of getting really niched in that particular ideal avatar of who we're trying to attract. So yeah, I would just definitely add that in there. You don't have to have all the things when you're getting started as well. And it's really, really important to niche down into what you can offer that ideal avatar and yeah, bring them into your business that way. So whether it's, yeah, like starting out or specializing in skin you don't need to add in the pedicures and the manicures and the eyebrow waxes if that is where you are passionate in stick with that and see how your business grows because it's such a high revenue treatment that you can add on to and yeah bring in some good revenue with skin treatments there that's exactly right and I mean one of the things I did so when I bought the original Australian skin clinic 
we ran 14 rooms. We did everything from waxing and tinting right through to liposuction and thread lifts. So we had the widest range you can imagine. And before I launched ASC as a franchise, I recognised the logistics of trying to run this business was so huge. It wasn't easily replicable. So I just scaled it down. So when we launched ASC, we actually only did seven treatments. So it probably felt to the world like we did everything, but we actually only did seven treatments. And then now I've de-branded. We have more than seven treatments now, I guess. And we've gone back more to a wider menu, but we're still very focused in where we market. So the more products, the more services you've got, then the more you have to market, the more money you have to spend on each item to market it. So what we do is we we market in very key focused areas, knowing that they will that will bring in the breadth of customers that we're looking for. And then once they're in, we can talk to them about all the various different things that we do and the options that are available for them. So you do have to be smart about where you spend your money wisely, where you advertise yourself, where you market and what you're trying to achieve. So I absolutely agree. So we kind of niche down into particular areas and we just market those yeah yeah no I really love that I love that way of doing things so I think some of our beauty bosses then find they actually struggle with the way in how the consumer is consuming content right now and showing up online is one of the most powerful ways in how to drive and funnel people into your business and that's where a lot of them are feeling stuck because they've got so many things to talk about but then not enough content or uh, confidence I guess you could say to actually they know their stuff you've got the knowledge (laughs) it's just actually having that confidence to press record and then speak to an audience about that. So, yeah, I think niching down and just really knowing exactly what you're talking about, features, benefits, and then, yeah, starting somewhere at least and then moving forward from there is really powerful. And on the content side, everyone is crazy about, I need more content, I need more content. I used that picture last week, I need another picture. Actually, not true. If you look down at core basic principles of marketing are brand recognition is everything. And that in the old days, we used to say you had to see an advert or a logo or branded item five times before it's even registered in your mind. Now they're saying it's 12 to 24 times. So if you look at people's marketing, if every single picture you post is completely different and not related to the last one, you're not getting your brand out there. So I actually don't, I deliberately don't overproduce content we do use the same pictures over and over because that's what people are going to recognize and associate with those so it's quite interesting and and I've just I follow quite a few TikToks it's not not voluntarily actually the marketing my marketing team say I have to but Mm -hmm. in following those TikToks and I'm actually seeing trends now of people reposting their same content over and over and I'm certain that's going back to this idea that you know, you have to see something multiple times before you act on it. Yeah, definitely. And also going back to the, you are your unique selling point. So if you're going to post product pictures of um, this flat lay and this product and this treatment, but then not actually showing, you know, you as the business owner behind the brand as such, if you've got so many different things and you want to you know, be the face of your business. Um, I think it's important, like they're going to recognize if things are different colors and not connected to that actual sort of brand palette, 
you will never be the one that changes. So if you're continually showing up, then they're continually building that trust factor and you can take them through that buyer's cycle of becoming aware of who you are, starting to consider to, oh, yeah, I think that I've heard her a few times speak about this particular product or this skincare regime or this makeup tip. Yeah, really connected with her and they start to consider to buy and then going into that decision phase where they're, we're actually attracting all sorts of people through that buyer cycle at any time of our marketing. So it's important to make sure that we are putting content out there. But I'm with you, Deb. I think I've had two photo shoots done in the last six years of having Beauty Business Co. because it's a lot of work to get those professional shots done, you know. And I've repurposed so much through my website, through reels, through I'm not on TikTok actually. Thankfully, I don't have anyone pushing me to do that. And yeah, you know, like it, it's okay to not have the professional photos up there all the time. You can repurpose, reuse and do things differently with them. You can create cover photos with things that you've used in the past as well. So yeah, not reinventing the wheel every single time you have to create content is important. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now, I would love for you to share three apps that you just can't live without. Um, okay, so I've actually got very simple needs when it comes to apps. So my number one app is Zero. just being able to jump on my phone and look at the bank accounts and see how we're doing sales-wise. Because I have multiple companies, I can flick through each company and do that. So that's quite boring, really. My second favourite is just the Plain Notes app on an iPhone. I was actually just last night looking for a couple of documents I knew I'd written on there. I often use that to write blogs when I'm on the go or... If I get inspired with a marketing slogan, I'll, I'll put that into notes. I was looking through my notes last night. I literally have thousands of them. <laughs> thousands. So I create a book use, out of that. Yeah, I obviously use a lot on that one. And then again, very, very simple. I like Microsoft Tasks, just to put myself tasks and job list that. I love, I've actually got some um, ADD, so I really don't function without lists. That I love because I can tick them off when I do them. Yeah, that is so good. Everything to keep you accountable. I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very simple, very simple needs. But yeah, um, I don't do video editing. I I just haven't got the patience for it. So I'm sure other guests on your show will tell you far more interesting things than I would. Ah, uh, no, that's all right. Well, there, are, yeah, there are so many apps out there that can help with all of that stuff. Again, it's about choosing one and knowing it well, rather than thinking I have to be here, there and everywhere with all the different apps and tools. Yeah, half the things that we have on our phones, we don't actually use them in the app form, you know. I probably could delete a few off mine, actually. Now, <laughs> what is one thing you are constantly searching for when it comes to support in what you do daily? I suppose in the broader sense, personality. So the personality of the team around me is more important than their skill set. I think I believe it's easier to train someone with the right personality than to take someone with amazing skills who who doesn't have the personality to fit the team. Um, I usually carry around little business cards that say on the back, um, I appreciated your service today. If you ever need a job, call me. Um, and I was out for dinner, in fact, just this week, and I didn't have on the cards with me, so I had to handwrite a note. But it was an amazing waitress in a restaurant I went to. And I sat there and thought, gee, I want that girl to come work for me. She had everything 
sewn up in terms of her um, her special expression. She had a beautiful smile. The way she talked to the customer. She was. I was watching her talk to my husband, and um, she just made him feel like he was the only person in the room. And then I watched her go to the next table, and there was a sort of an elderly gentleman on that table, and she was the same with him. And, and then there were some young young kids came in, and she was just the same with them. So I think personality is everything. Wow, I really love that. I always used to say you can put the skill in a therapist, but you can't bring that passion. You know, they've got to bring that. But personality, that is one that I really haven't heard before. So that was just really beautiful of you sharing that with me, Deb. Thank you. And I have rec- I have recruited from cafes and restaurants before, unbelievably. So um, not necessarily for a therapist, but definitely um, for admin staff, for reception staff. And even when I worked, even when I had the medical centre back in England, I would often get receptionists from, from cafes. So I've done that. I've had those cards for probably 25 years. Oh, wow. And it's true because we we aren't always recruiting just for our therapists as beauty business owners. We should be recruiting and onboarding virtual assistants that can help us with the back-end administration of our business. Um, You know, like outsourcing areas of our weakness is going to help us propel forward so much faster um but yeah it's it's this area of like oh I have to have them come into the business to work in the office but it's not always the way it's great obviously if you do have a space and and people can come in but like video editing like things um with email management they can be outsourced to people that you know are in that strength and area of expertise. You don't have to be sitting down at your computer figuring all of that stuff out, but onboarding them and making sure they are aligned to your business is really important. And that's exactly right. So across the across all the businesses, I've actually got five um, outsourced marketing people and um, I've never been in a room with them yet. Um, so our only meetings are via Teams or, or by WhatsApp sometimes. Um, yeah. And it's it's not a disadvantage at all. The only the only time is a disadvantage if we're trying to launch a new product. We need to dash it to them so that they can see it. Oh yes, absolutely. Ah uh, yeah, cool. Well, I'm glad that you've got um, all of those people in your corner too. Now, do you have any specific routines that you stick to to set up your day for success? Yeah. So I'm um, I'm a real creature of habit. In a morning, I cannot do anything until I've clean my teeth, have my shower, and until recently wash my hair. So I used to wash my hair every single day. But since I've gone from blonde to red, my hairdressers banned me from washing it so often. <laughs> so, so now I have to tongue it or comb it or do whatever I can do to make it look half decent without washing it. Um, so as soon as I've done that, I get dressed. I can't do anything in my pyjamas. Even when I'm working from home, I have to be fully dressed. And um, and then I sit out on the terrace and have a coffee. That's my my ritual, um, usually with my husband. And in that sort of half hour sat there, I'm lining my day up. Often I'm flicking through my lists on my phone on my Microsoft password. So before I even left the house, um, and I do prefer to go to the office and work at home. I'm actually, I like to get out of the house. Um, so before I even leave the house, though, I've gone through my to-do list for the day. I've already planned what I'm going to delegate and to who, what my priorities are, where I need to be, what my appointments are. 
Um, and then when I get to the office, I need a second coffee. So I always say, don't talk to me till I've had my second coffee. I don't wake up fully till then. Um, and that's kind of my day. And then the next step from then on early in the morning is normally when I meet with the team, give people their brief for the day. I usually walk around the factory and check that everything's okay. So I'm very much a do all these things at the start of the day. And then I bed down into anything that I have to do that requires greater con- you know, concentration. Yeah, beautiful. That's lovely. Well, I know that you are also on a very busy schedule today. So I'm going to shoot some rapid fire questions to you. What is the best book you've ever read? Um, so there's business books and reading books. What do you want to know? Oh, maybe a business one because I'm into that, <laughs> just selfishly. <laughs> um, I think the one I like the most, which I, I just, possibly because I could relate to at the time, was Who Moved My Cheese? Oh. And I've actually forgotten who wrote that. I don't know if you've read that book. No, I haven't. I'll look it up and I'll leave it in the show notes for everyone as well. Yeah. Um, it's all about, uh, it's by Spencer Johnston. I just looked it up. Um, it's all about, um, I suppose, that this people's response to change, you know, and, ha- and how they change and um, how they adapt to change. Really fascinating book. It's a very thin book. It's very quick read. Um, other books I've enjoyed, um, I've read a few of, um, God, it's in my head now, um, Tony Robbins, I've read a few. I, met to, I went to a Tony Robbins conference years and years and years ago, about when I worked for Debenhams, actually. Um, so I've, I've read a few of his books, which I've enjoyed. And um, The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People would be one I enjoyed as well. Yeah, that one's a good one. Uh, I'll, I'll list a few of those in our show notes for our listeners. It's always good to have a business book library. Um, even if you're not reading them from cover to cover I think it's always great to refer back to them all the time you know we're we're ever evolving we're ever growing so thanks for sharing those who is someone that you would love to meet in person Um, I think there's lots of people I'd love to meet in person Um, I would like to meet Richard Richard Branson in person I've got a few questions I might want to ask him um I would say he's the top of my list yeah 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 pretty incredible I went to uh one of the success resources events and he was on stage so that was really lovely to hear him in person and on my big vision board is to have a retreat one year at make peace island which is lovely that he owns um, I don't think he'll come, but he owns it. So it's one of those dreams that's, um, it, it seems like it's quite far away, but it's interesting how you can kind of like set a goal and dissect a way in how you're actually going to achieve it. And I feel that it will be possible one day. So watch this space, Deb, because you'll probably be there. <laughs> oh, awesome. Put my name down. <laughs> the, other, the other one I wanted to meet was Gary Vaynerchuk, but I did meet him. I was I was speaking at one of the Success Squared, um, or two actually, and he was at both of them, so I did meet him. Um, so that was, that was interesting. Oh, yeah, he's pretty cool. <laughs> what is one thing you have procrastinated about this week? 
recruitment. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm, I'm recruiting a couple of posts at the moment and I'm struggling to make the decision. Yes, that's uh, interesting. <laughs> ah, there you go. What is something you would jump at if you knew you wouldn't fail? Ooh, do you know what? I have to say I rarely, I rarely think I'll fail. So I've, I've always had this kind of quiet belief that if I want something badly enough and I'm really keen to do it, I won't fail. So I don't know. I can't answer that. So, and I always say, I genuinely believe I could do nearly anything. I just can't do it all at once. So yeah. we all go through stages in our lives where something might be too hard or too difficult or you can't commit the time to it. Maybe I'm just good at knowing if I can commit to something. I don't know. <laughs> good answer. This is why we vibe together. Like I feel, I feel like having that fear of failure is, um, yeah, you know, like if we fail, it's an opportunity to grow in an area. So um, just go for it and see what happens. Like, you know, the quote, what if I fall but what if you fly? Like, seriously, Yeah, I love that I one. What if I mess up? But what if you mess up and you actually do succeed at the same time? Because we are human and it's so important to know that mistakes are totally normal. So, yeah, <laughs> just wanted to add that little one in. I'm quite passionate about that area. <laughs> it, it, it is. And that, that feeling that what if I fail, it is my experience, my genuine experience, that those those thoughts and feelings are put on you by others. Mm. And, you know, I actually, you know, there have been times in my life where I, where I have been made to believe that I was worthless or I couldn't do something or I wasn't good enough. And I think the mindset, I mean, my mindset now is if you tell me I can't do something, I'm more likely to give it a go um, yeah. just to prove you wrong and just, you know, just to show that I can. And so I think to those people who do suffer from self-doubt, ask yourself why who's causing that self-doubt? Is it you or is it someone else's story? And, you know, once you make your own story, and the story I made myself is I'm, I'm going to do this. So I left home at 16. I put my th myself mostly through college. Um, I, I actually started saving up to leave home when, I'm th when I was 13. And I bought my first property when I was 19. So I think if you set yourself your targets and goals, set yourself the mindset that it's for you to decide what you will succeed at and what you won't succeed at, That's I think that's the biggest helpful thing I can give you is that it is, you know, there's an expression, isn't there, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're going to be right. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's all about your mindset and your, your self-perception and your self-determination to turn up every day and get the job done and be what you want to be. If you are listening right now, I want you to press pause, rewind, replay that just last little moment of Deb there before we finish and wrap up this episode because that is so much golden advice right there for you to take into your day. Absolutely beautiful. Now, one last rapid fire for you, Deb. If you were stranded on a deserted island with no Wi-Fi, what is one thing you wish you had with you? <laughs> a bucket of spade to make sandcastles. 
I love that. You're a lot of fun. Thank you so much for gifting me your time today and being here for our listeners to hear so much wisdom from you, Deb. Uh, What is next for you? What's in the works for the business? And um, I'm really excited because we are going to have you present at our 2023 Beauty Boss Retreat and it will be such a beautiful, intimate experience that our guests receive because it is so small and it is really high-level business and personal development that we do at these retreats that are transformational and guaranteed expansion comes from, um, you know, saying yes to the opportunity of Beauty Boss Retreat. And I just wanted to share my gratitude uh, to you because you're here right now and gifting me your time, but then you're also coming to be able to share so much more impact with our beauty bosses um, that are going to be coming to our retreat at the Whit Sundays in February. So thank you so much. I truly, truly appreciate you. So, yeah, just share with our listeners what's next for you and also where we can go and find and follow you and be a part of your world on social media. Um, So I think next for me is I'm probably committed to Asada for a little while. Um, I'm actually 69. Sorry, I'm not 69. I'm 59. I'm aging myself. I'm nearly 59. Um, So I think at some point I've got to really try that retirement thing again, which I keep failing at. but. The next few years, definitely solid growth is, is the thing we're focusing on. And finding me, I'm on um, Instagram, Facebook. I'm not on TikTok. You won't find me there. I've got a secret TikTok page where I just watch what goes on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I've got a website, which is debfarmwithwood.com. Excellent. Well, we'll make sure that we add all those details for our audience as well. And uh, we chatted, you wanted to gift a lucky listener to just even give us their biggest takeaway from this episode on the Instagram tile that we put up of the podcast episode. So you can, you know, connect with Deb, DM her, follow her and things like that. But underneath the podcast post I'd love for you to write what your biggest takeaway from this episode was and Deb has something lovely to give to you all what was that Deb yeah so we'll send you what a customized skincare pack so the winner will have a conversation with you check out your skin type and so on and then we'll send you a, a gift pack of Asada clinical skincare Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much once again. It's been an absolute treat and I will talk to you really soon, Deb. Thank you, Angela. It's been great. Take care. Bye. Bye.